Well, winning the Olympic gold for any aspiring athlete is arguably one of the greatest achievements of their career. But for this young Olympian back in the day, he had a much higher priority. His name is Eric Liddell. Perhaps you're familiar with that name. He was made famous by the, by the well-known movie Chariots of Fire. He's the, the main character there in that. And Eric Liddell was naturally a short-distance runner. He was gifted, and he attributed this gift to God that he could just run flat out really, really fast, faster than pretty much anyone else for a really short distance. And as the Olympics in Paris in 1924 approached, Eric Liddell was actually favored to win the 100-meter dash. This was his event. This was the one that he just really excelled at. He didn't do so well with the longer races. He would kind of run out of steam, but, um, but for those 100 meters, he could run like no one else. However, when the schedule for the event was published and and the the qualifying events and the the, the final event for the 100 meters, when this was posted, he knew, Eric Liddell knew, that he would not be competing in his best event. He saw that schedule and he said, I'm out, I I can't do it. He decided this because he was a devout follower of Jesus. He believed that the commandments in the Bible were far more important than anything else. And because the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Eric Liddell chose to be loyal to God, even if this meant missing out on his chance to win a gold medal in the 100 meters. By taking this stand to not compete and to honor the commandments as he understood them, He knew that he would be disappointing the expectations of a whole country, the the entire country of Britain, and especially Scotland where he was from, because they had placed their hopes on him to bring home gold in the 100 meters. So instead of running this uh, 100-meter race, he decided to to run in a couple of races that he wasn't as well-suited for, the 200-meter and then the 400-meter, which was really a long shot for him. So he made that decision, and while these races, the 100-meter race, while it was taking place and people were anxiously waiting to see who could run the fastest from one line in the ground to another line in the ground and cheering wildly, while that was happening, Eric Liddell was worshiping God. For the entire day, he kept the Sabbath And although the Olympics mattered very much to him, loyalty to God mattered more. It's an inspiring story. When the day came for the 400-meter race to take place, most people thought that he didn't really have a chance to win. Already he competed in the 200-meter race, and that was probably his best chance to do really well. In the 200-meter race, he did did well. He he placed third. He, He won bronze behind two American athletes. But the question was, if he could barely win a medal in the 200-meter race, what, would, what chance did he have? How could he do any better in the 400-meter race? But there was at least one other person that day that the 400-meter race took place that saw things differently. 
Early that day, this attendant handed Eric Liddell a note containing the words of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, that simply said, He who honors me, I will honor. Handed him that note. <laughs> Those words, words burned like a fire in his heart. Encouraged by this message, he went back, he went out on the track that day. And he ran, he, he started the 400-meter race, and he ran those first 200 meters of the 400 race at a devastating pace. He left the pack in the dust. And then he ran the last 200 meters of the 400-meter race, never slowing down. Not only did Eric Liddell win gold in the 400-meter race that day, but he set a new world record. In a world where we tend to value temporary things, Eric Liddell's story inspires us to value things that are eternal. Yeah, temporary things have their value. But what's the point of placing a higher value on temporary things when we could go after that which is eternal? More important than winning a gold medal was his devotion to God, his experience with God. Because he was loyal to a higher authority and put God first, Eric Liddell's life has done so much more than just accomplish a win in the 400-meter race during the Olympics. His life has influenced untold numbers to express faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He went on to serve as a missionary in China for, for the rest of his life, in fact. And he lived a life of serenity, a life of purpose, a life of joy, in spite of some really difficult challenges that he faced in the mission field. Why? He was loyal to higher authority. On our own, we're all prone to prioritizing temporary pursuits over things that really matter eternally. We can all get so busy that we miss out on relationships with others. We can get so caught up in things like schoolwork or your own career that you miss out on things like character development. We can be so preoccupied with taking care of ourselves that we miss out on being cared for by God. We are prone to prioritizing temporary pursuits over eternal realities. But thankfully, God has provided a way to keep us on track with what really matters. We'll be talking about that today. Now, if you're just joining us, we're, in the, we're just starting a sermon series. started it last week. It's a sermon series on the Sabbath, and it's entitled, The Rest We Need. Finding the rest we need. And here we're looking at how to experience the Sabbath rest throughout the Bible. To help you get the most out of this sermon series, it's been mentioned earlier, I'm going to mention it again, though. Um, we've prepared some study guides, and all you have to do to find these study guides is you go to our website. I'm going to give you a little 411 here. Um, all you have to do is go to our website, 
and click on small group study guides. And when you click on that, this is what you're going to see. This is actually the one from last week. We talked about restoration. And to find this week's study guide, you just scroll down. It's a very simple format. You can do it by yourself, but we really encourage you to get with a family member or a friend or, or a small group and talk about the content of the sermon. I mean, you can critique whether you think I did a good job or not. That's okay. That's not really edifying long term, but you can do that. I'm all right with that. Um, <laughs> but what I'd really encourage you to do is to talk about the content, talk about the message from the Bible and what you hear God saying to you, what might have been challenging, what might have been troubling. Ask the questions and spend the time really seeking what God would have you do with this message. Processing it a second time is so helpful. So often, even the, I mean, even if you go to hear one of the most effective preachers, you can forget five to ten minutes what you heard, you know, five to ten minutes after the service what you just heard. But when you go back and you talk about the content with someone else and you prayerfully ask God to experience it, there's, a, there's some really rich blessings that can be there. So I just want to encourage you uh, to do that in some way or another. Go, go check that out. Today, I'd like to look at one of the most famous statements in the Bible on the Sabbath. Like when we talk about Sabbath, more often than not, we think of this statement. I'd like to look at it because it shows us how to avoid prioritizing temporary pursuits and how to live under the care of an eternal God. The title of the message this morning is Loyal to a Higher Authority. And before we look at what the Bible has to say, I'd like to just pause for prayer here. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know that we really get into trouble because we get confused about our loyalties, especially this idea that we need to be doggedly loyal to our own agenda. I pray, God, that we would be inspired to grow and develop loyalty towards you. I pray, God, that you would set us free from these temporary pursuits that we, get, that we so often get caught up in putting first in, in priority. Thank you so much. And, and I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, we give you permission now that, for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to speak words of life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 is where we'll be. Uh, this is where the law of God is given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandment law is here in Exodus 20. Now, leading up to Exodus chapter 20, the story of the Exodus shows that people can really struggle when they forget how God has cared for them. Just, just think about that for a second. When we really struggle in life, when we're, we get really worried, when we get really bothered, when we get really upset, oftentimes it is related to us forgetting how God has cared for us. That's the story of Israel in Exodus. Despite all that God had done for them, caring for his people, they had this problem of quickly forgetting. God, God cared for Israel in some really big ways. We can just review some of them really quickly. He freed them from slavery. Life is completely changed. They went from being slaves, dismal experience, to now they are free. God defeated the army of Egypt for them. Israel stood back and watched this happen. God completely defeats the army of Egypt. He leads them safely through the wilderness. God is caring for Israel in really big ways. Yet, when difficulties come, when they faced 
problems and challenges, they would often act as if God didn't care. It's an example of this prior to Exodus 20. Not long after God brought Israel out of Egypt, I mean, less than three months after God brought Israel out of Egypt, the people found, faced a difficulty. They ran out of food. It's a real challenge, especially because they were in the wilderness and they're looking around. They're not seeing Costco. They're not seeing Fred Meyer. There's nothing out there for them. By all appearances, things are not looking good for their well-being. How are they going to get all, all the food that they needed to feed this, this huge amount of people? And even though God had just parted the waters of the Red Sea, and his visible presence was there in the sky. The pillar of cloud was there. At night, it was a pillar of fire. God is watching over them. The people completely lose sight of God's care. And they actually begin to, th- they start to grumble, they start to complain. And because they forget how God has cared for them, they start to talk like slaves. They say, you know what? We should just go back to Egypt. We had plenty of food there. They start to consider to go back to their life of slavery, even though they were free people. When they forgot what God had done, they were willing to give up. Even though, as you might know the rest of the story, God ended up raining bread from heaven every morning on on the ground. They would wake up in the morning, they would go out and they would gather this bread. And it was really good bread. It was so delicate. It was sweet and it was so delicate that when the sun came up and it got hotter, it would just melt into the ground. God provided for them every day. That's what God was going to do. But in the moment, they couldn't see that because they had forgotten how God had cared for them. And as a result, they were willing to give up. Give up on God's plan for them. I mean, just think what would have happened if they really followed through with that plan. Hey, we're really scared that God can't provide for us out in the wilderness. We're going to go back and be slaves in Egypt. They would have completely missed out on the promised land just so they could get some Egyptian food. Well, to save us from the disastrous results of forgetting God's care for us, forgetting what God has done, God gives us a weekly reminder of how he's provided for us. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. God says, Remember, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And he's going to go on to explain how to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God knows how we're good at looking at loopholes, right? He pretty much seals it up there. He's like, no one works, not even animals. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When God tells us to rest from work on the seventh day, I'd like for you to notice the language that he uses. God's not just making a suggestion here. Notice that he doesn't say, maybe you will want to work and then rest at some point. He doesn't say that. 
He doesn't say, perhaps you'll want to remember the Sabbath day. We don't see God's language like that here in the fourth commandment. Just like all the Ten Commandments that we read here in Exodus 20, the fourth commandment speaks authoritatively. And in no uncertain terms, it tells us to rest, not on any day, not on the day of your choosing, not when you feel like it. He says, rest on the seventh day. When the seventh day arrives, that's the day that you rest. All other six days, the the six days prior to that, you're to work. Although some may bristle at the idea of being told what to do. Is anybody like that here? (laughs) Somebody tells you what to do. It's like, ah. Even if it's a good idea, just because they told you, it's like, ah, sometimes we resist that. God tells us what to do, but he inspires loyalty in us by giving us good reasons to keep his commands. In verse 11, God gives those reasons here. He gives the rationale behind this command for Sabbath rest. God speaks in the third person, speaking of himself. He says, in six days, the Lord made heaven, he made earth, he made the sea, and all that is in them. He made everything. And, oh, or but, the Bible says, after making all these things, but he rested. Now, when I first started working in ministry, I worked really hard. I thought, I thought that if I worked hard enough when I started in ministry, and if I worked smart enough, I could get everything done that I wanted to get done. At the beginning of my day, I would write down my to-do list, and I suffer from selfish ambition. Uh, that's one of, the, one of my character defects. And so I wanted to do a whole lot. I'd have a long list. And I would do my absolute best to complete all this list. I would go to work and work super hard, just keep at it. But as the day would go on, I would think of more things that I would want to put on my to-do list, more items. And as I saw myself kind of getting behind in in the day progressing, sometimes in order to get caught up in in, in achieving what I I had planned on on my to-do list, I I would sometimes work through lunch. I would push myself. I would stay late at the office. But the more I got done, what I observed is that the more I saw could be done. You know, that's what they say, if you want something done, ask someone who's busy. Like, the, you know, we just, the, the more that, that is happening, the more we want to get stuff done, the more we're able to get things done, the more there is to do. This is what I saw. And eventually I realized that no matter how hard I worked, there would always be more for me to do. Can anybody relate to that? That's kind of the nature of life here on this earth. This is the way life is. When it comes to taking care of our needs, now some of you might say, well, I do an easy job and I get it done, but when it comes to taking care of our needs, there is always more for us to do because our needs don't go away. Like, it doesn't matter how much you work. You can work as much as you possibly can, and you're still going to have needs that come up. You're still going to have, have needs to work. There's always going to be more dishes to wash more money to earn, more meals to prepare, more activities to plan for, more things to do, more things to attend to, conversations to have, places to be. As long as we are alive, no amount of work is enough. It's not enough to get us to the place where we no longer need to work to have our needs met. And this is why we can get so tired. 
because the work of meeting our needs is never finished. But the Bible tells us here in Exodus chapter 20 that God's work is different. When God works, it turns out very differently. Exodus 11 says that God worked for six days, but then he rested. That's the difference between God's work and our work. Of course, let's just process this a little bit. An almighty God does not need to rest because he is tired. That's not why God rested. That's not what the Sabbath rest is about either. The reason that God rested is simple. There was no more work to do. You see, when we work, we find more work to do, and there's more things that come up. But when God works, he works so effectively, so powerfully, so completely that he can rest. By day six, God created the ultimate paradise for people. There was plenty of food. It was beautiful. Everything was there, everything imaginable. There was pure, clear water to drink. It was just, it was the ultimate paradise for people. And then he made people. He made us. He made us perfectly. Genesis 1.31 gives us an idea of what that was like. God did not finish on the sixth day because it was quitting time. He finished on the sixth day because he looked at everything it was, that he had made, and the Bible says it was very good. When a perfect God evaluates something as very good, we can rest assured that there was nothing lacking. He is the authority on what very good is, and he calls his work very good. When he calls it very good, he's essentially saying that it was perfectly suited for providing for the needs of humanity. It lacked nothing. The needs of people was all, were all provided there. And God gave Adam and Eve every reason to be loyal to his authority. But even though they chose to break loyalty with God, the Sabbath reminds us that God has not broken his loyalty to us. Please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15. Forty years after God gave the Ten Commandments, 40 years after what we just read there in Exodus 20, Moses is at the end of his life, and he realizes that something very significant is going, he knows something very significant is going to happen. The people of Israel are going to be led into the promised land. And to ensure their loyalty to God in the promised land when things are really good, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. That's what Deuteronomy basically means it's the repetition of the law. He repeats the Ten Commandments here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read them. But when he gets to the Sabbath commandment, he makes a clarifying statement at the end of the commandment. After telling them not to work on the Sabbath, just like we just, like we just read in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 says this, "'Remember that you were slaves in Egypt.'" And that the Lord, brought, the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Look at that connection there. He's saying, remember what God has done for you. You were slaves. There was nothing you could do to free yourself. And God came and he freed you with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. This is why God tells us to keep the Sabbath. What's the connection there? Just as God extravagantly cared for the needs of people before sin, 
God extravagantly cares for the needs of people after sin. When we read Exodus 20, he said, God created everything in six days. He made it perfect, and he rested. That's why he rested. Here, when the law is repeated, he gives us a similar characteristic of God, but applies it to our situation after sin. That when you were slaves in Egypt, there was nothing you could do. God saved you. He provided perfectly for your needs with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He delivered you. It's about what God has done. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he did it with authority. The gods of the Egyptians, they worshiped many different gods. There was a God that oversaw the well-being of the Nile River. There was a God, uh, the sun God. There was a God over life and death. They worshiped all kinds of different gods, a God that watched over cattle and watched over frogs. And it's very interesting that as we look at the plagues, these gods that the Egyptians worshiped were powerless to stop the one true God when he sent plagues on Egypt. The God watching over the Nile, powerless. There's no resistance there. The sun went black. No resistance there. We don't, we we see the gods of Egypt being absolutely decimated if they even, well, I don't believe they existed, but, but anyway, completely helpless when it came to stopping the one true God. God God saved the people of Israel authoritatively, and at the end of the 10 plagues, Egypt was so devastated, so damaged, that Israel didn't even have to fight for their freedom. In fact, the Egyptians said, please go. And they sent them out with treasures. They gave them gold. They gave them silver. They gave them valuable garments. Just think about this for a second. Instead of leaving Egypt like fugitives, God's deliverance was so authoritative, so decisive, that the people of Israel left Egypt looking like royalty. That's what happens when God works for us. According to Moses, the Sabbath is when we devote ourselves by not working, not doing our normal everyday work of trying to provide for our needs. Yes, there's a place for that for six days. On the Sabbath, though, we devote ourselves to remembering what God has done for us, remembering how God has cared for us. This is the purpose of the rest so that we can fully appreciate, fully celebrate, fully give our attention to how God has cared for us, his power to save us. Well, as amazing as the Exodus story is, and this call here in Deuteronomy 5 to remember the deliverance of God, man, what an amazing God that he would deliver his people so authoritatively as we see in the Exodus story. As amazing as that deliverance is, today we have even more evidence, far more evidence of God's power to save us. Uh, Next slide, please. When God sent Jesus to this earth, he acted with authority. This is one of the characteristics of Jesus' life. You read through the Gospels and you see this authoritative ministry of Jesus. There was no disease that he could not heal, no demon that he could not cast out. When Jesus taught, the Bible says that people were amazed. Why? Because he talked, he spoke as one having authority. Despite the temptations of Satan, Satan did his absolute best. He pulled out all of his tricks to try and trip Jesus up. But despite all of this, Jesus lived a perfect life. Satan had no power over him. 
Jesus says that, that Satan had no, no purchase in his life. He couldn't, he couldn't get in. There was, there was no room for him. Jesus lived a perfect life, and when he died on the cross, he provided the deliverance that we could not provide for ourselves, but that we desperately need. The deliverance that sets us free from the slavery of sin. Well, chances are you know this story pretty well. I'd love to hear it again. I need to hear it again. You know how God has provided for you the gift of salvation. But merely knowing this story is not enough. You can know this story and still miss out on the care of God in your life. God can be caring for you. You, just, you can miss out on it. For us to find rest from the endless work, the endless just to-do list of trying to provide for our needs and to manage our lives, God knows that we must not just be aware of this story, we must have it fresh in our minds. We must regularly remember God's provision of salvation for us. Now, when I'm thinking about how God has cared for me, when I'm thinking about how he has forgiven me, when I'm thinking about the patience that God has shown me in my life, when I'm thinking about the grace that God has shown me, how he's cared for me, how he's protected me, how he's led me in my life, how he's provided for me, how he's shown me excessive goodness, I cannot help but feel inspired to be loyal to him. It's a natural response. The problem is, is that I'm not constantly thinking about this. In fact, I'm constantly forgetting what God has done for me. That's, that's kind of the story of my life. And I would have a hunch that I'm not alone in this. It's kind of the human experience where, where we tend to forget what God has done for us. Constantly forgetting about how he is, he is taking care of us. And the result is we end up thinking about how we can be in charge of our lives, how we can manage our lives. And the problem with that is that our work is not like God's work. Our work is incomplete. That's why if we try to manage our lives, we try to care for our lives, if we're the ones that are providing for our needs, our spiritual needs, we're never going to be done because we can't do it. There's only one who works, but then rests, and that is God. Thankfully, to address our problem of forgetting, God gives us a prescription for our spiritual amnesia. He says, remember the Sabbath day. And as we look at the dosage for this prescription, we can kind of get an idea of how serious our condition is, how serious the spiritual amnesia really is for us. He doesn't just say, remember the Sabbath day as needed. (laughs) It's not PRN. It's not whenever you feel like there's a need in your life. It's not when when you feel a little tired, then remember the Sabbath day. That's, That's not what God says. He doesn't say, remember the Sabbath day once a year or once a quarter or even once a month. He gives us an idea of how serious our condition is by telling us to remember the Sabbath day really all the time. He says, remember the Sabbath day. Six days you shall labor. The Sabbath day is connected to every day of the week. As we labor throughout the week, we are thinking, looking forward to the Sabbath according to God's command. Remember it as you work and remember to keep the Sabbath day on the seventh day. How different would our lives be 
if God's work of providing for us were fresh in our thinking all the time, as you go to work each day, as you, as you come back home, as you interact with other people, as you face problems that come up in your life, how different would your life be? How different would your influence be? What would this do to have God's provision in your life clear? All of the different ways that God is, if you were thinking about this all of the time and, and keeping the Sabbath in this way, what would it do to worry? Would you still worry? What would it do to stress? What would it do to discouragement? What would it do to fear? Well, on this Sabbath day, I want to encourage you to grow in your loyalty to a higher power. May you find the rest that you need from the exhaustion of trying to provide for your needs. May you remember what God has done. And may this inspire you to loyalty to a higher power. That power is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the reasons that you give us to inspire loyalty to you. God, loyalty to ourselves just messes us up. We're inadequate. We're incomplete. And I want to thank you that on this Sabbath day, you've given us so much to remember. Father, thank you for caring for us. And may we just relish that today. In Jesus' name, amen.